Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you have listened to our past podcast conversations. And if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcast, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and at any online book retailer you prefer. Check it out today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand, both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you're looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them at cabotrisk.com. I'm thrilled to continue our conversation with Brad Johnson. Brad is professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the United States Naval Academy and a faculty associate in the Graduate School of Education at John Hopkins University. A clinical psychologist and former commissioned officer in the Navy's Medical Service Corps, Dr. Johnson served as Bethesda Naval Hospital and the medical clinic at Pearl Harbor, where he was the division head for psychology. He's a recipient of the John Hopkins University Teaching Excellence Award and has received Distinguished Mentor Awards from the National Institutes of Health and the American Psychology Association. Brad is also the author of numerous publications, including 14 books in the areas of gender in the workplace, mentoring, cross-gender allyship, professional ethics, and counseling. His most recent books include Good Guys, How Men Can Become Better Allies for Women in the Workplace with David Smith. And we're going to talk a lot about that book today. And Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women, also with David Smith. Let's continue our conversation with Brad. Well, look, this, I think, is a great bravery at work moment where what you're suggesting is that a male uh, colleague approach a female colleague at some point in work and say, hey, can I talk with you for a couple of minutes about your experiences at work? You know, I'd love to know a little bit more about how you experience the workplace I think the female leader may say something like, hey, happy to chat about it, but why do you want to know? Because I think the the reasons for your curiosity are as of interest to me as, you know, whatever it is that we have to say. So can you help some of our listeners kind of answer or think about why is it that you want to know what you want to know before I share with you what I experienced? Yeah, great question, Ed. And again, this is getting you know to that really important issue about my motivations. And I think if I'm a male and I want to lean into this allyship stuff and be more effective, uh, my motivation and my story about why I'm doing this work really is important. And she has every right to ask that question. And so I need to be pretty authentic. I need to be ready to talk about that. I need to, I need to do my own sort of uh, self-awareness development, become more aware of, of why that is of interest for me. But I, there, there could be multiple things going on here. You know, number one, I'm looking at the data and I see 
all the gender inequity uh, in the workplace generally, which is getting exacerbated by this pandemic. Um, you know, I see you as a really talented colleague and, and I'm concerned that our company may lose you because you know that's happening across the board. And I, I really wanna make sure that doesn't happen. I'd love to be able to keep you here, contribute to that. Um, and so that's part of it. Maybe another piece is I have witnessed in meetings, in other exchanges in the workplace, this happening to you. You know, for example, in a meeting, I noticed that, you know, guy A and guy B tend to talk over you all the time. And it bothers me. And I just wonder, uh, is this happening a lot? And and I'm really curious about how I could collaborate with you to make sure this is not continuing. Well, I think it's a great action step for any employed business leader out there. I will tell you, if I was still employed in an organization, this would be of great interest to me to build my leadership relationships, right? That you can get deeper with people in respect to what they're experiencing in the workplace by demonstrating curiosity about them and what they're experiencing. And for all you know, the person you speak to might be someone dying to talk about this because there's nobody else that's been curious and just getting it off their chest might be very, very helpful for them. Yeah, and, and this gets to something else you know, that I think is so important, Ed. When, when Dave and I were doing the research for Athena Rising about how men can mentor women, one of the things that shocked us, to be honest with you, was the number one thing we heard from women that we interviewed asking them about what great male mentors do. The number one thing we heard over and over was listening, right? And, and, and so this turns out to be so crucial to great mentorship is the art of of generous listening and not trying to fix women, not trying to fix her or her problem, but just being a sounding board and, and really having some gender humility, asking those good questions, and then thanking her as you're learning uh, about the experience of women, about her experience in the workplace. Um, I think that the the listening piece is something that we men have got to work harder on. That's something that may not come naturally for all of us. Well, I love that you brought that up, Brad. Uh, in the chapter, Everyday Interactions with Women at Work, in your book, you have a section on listening. And for folks that are fans of this podcast and also clients of mine, I will tell you one of the key areas that I work on with leaders, regardless of gender, is improving two things. One, curiosity because that demonstrates a deeper need for a stronger relationship. And then if you're going to be curious, you have to be a good listener. You don't want to be curious and then you know not pay attention, right? So you have to be a really rich and deep listener. And listening is a hard skill because we are so prone to getting distracted. And quite frankly, I tell people that once somebody starts talking, one to two minutes in, they start to lose interest because now you're going on a little bit longer than their patient cycle might uh, expect. So, you know, you do need to be crisp and clear. But, you know, I love the fact that you spend a little bit of the time in your book talking about, you know, and I think it applies to same gender or different gender relationships, you know, the importance of what you call generous listening. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that is really crucial. And, and it comes with some things that are closely connected to it. Um, Ed, and that is, you know, it, it, not just in my interpersonal relationships, doing the generous listening, but it also involves making space. So as a male, 
as a guy with some privilege, I have the opportunity to make sure that in public venues, her voice gets heard, right? And and I can do that in a couple of ways. I can I can step back. You know, often we assume that the dude in the room uh, is going to lead the meeting and do most of the talking. And I think it's a, an ally art form to decenter, right? To step back, um, to make space for others, uh, and then to actually do what I call pull strategies. You know, throw her the mic, ask her a question, point out her expertise make sure she's included right from the start in important conversations so that other people are hearing her as well. You know, I want to do the great listening in my personal relationship with her, but I want other people to hear what she has to say as well. Well, you spend a significant amount of time in your book talking about what I'll call speak up, which are men who are observant of the environment. They have high social awareness of what's happening and say something, and maybe not at that moment, but they do get involved. And I'd love to hear a little bit about this concept of men, because I do think this requires bravery at work because you're now challenging the status quo. And not only that, but you're challenging the status quo of other similarly gendered people uh, about this kind of desire to have men step up or lean in or get involved in how a female and potentially another male, but a female is experiencing the workplace. Yeah, I'm so glad you're asking about this. And this is, you know, thinking about bravery and, and your great podcast. I think nowhere does bravery enter in maybe more than in, in this question you just asked. And this is a hard part of allyship for us men, right? We think of allyship as having two parts, the interpersonal piece, you know, how do you show up in relationships with women at work? But the public piece, right? Showing up as a disruptor and a watchdog and somebody who's not going to tolerate the status quo when it comes to bias and sexism and harassment, that is the hard part. That's where you're really putting some skin in the game as an ally. So I, I think that in that moment, I'll just give us a typical scenario, right? You're at a meeting and and that that old curmudgeon dude uh, says something egregiously sexist, maybe makes a harassing joke. You've all, we've all been there, right? And there's silence, right? There's crickets. Everyone's uncomfortable, but no one's willing to disrupt it. And our messaging for guys is this is where you've got to say something. You have to disrupt it. And in that moment, we know that if you wait three, four, five seconds, all the research on, on uh, the bystander effect suggests that bystander paralysis sets in, right? I get frozen. Um, I, I look around, maybe trying to discern whether other people are as uncomfortable as I am. Unless I say something in two or three seconds, that moment is going to pass. It won't be disrupted, and it's going to have a toxic effect on the workplace. So if I'm not sure what to say, I at least have to say something like, ouch, right? Or or dude, that didn't land the right way with me, or could you not do that again? Or was that supposed to be a joke? Unless someone says something at that moment, and it's gonna be more powerful often if a male does this, simply because women get punished for calling stuff out. Uh, unless some guy does this, uh, that moment goes by and, and everybody suffers as a result. 
Well, I love this concept of the bystander effect. And, you know, I always tell a quick story about when we do, when we used to meet in person (laughs) before the virus had kicked in, but when we used to go to conferences or meetings, and let's say you're in a room and there's 10 tables and each table has eight people. So there's, you know, 70 to 80 people in the room. And if the host says, hey, I'd like everyone to introduce yourself, tell us your name and your location and where you're from. If the first person to speak stands up, almost everybody after that person stands up. If the first person to speak sits down, almost everybody after that person sits down. There's this bystander. I think it's a bystander effect, which is I just want to fit in and not do something that might be perceived as different. And I always believe that uh, when you're introducing yourself at a conference so that everyone can see you, you need to stand up. They're more likely to hear you. You can be more interactive. So I was always one of those weird people that if I was the 45th person to go and everyone at that point had been sitting, I'd stand up. And oftentimes after that, however, no one else would stand up, right? I mean, I, so there's this interesting yeah. behavior we have that the the rule of the room manages the rule of the individual. Yeah, and you know, just to kind of add to that, Ed, I, I will say that um, there's great research showing that you know men often believe that they're the only guy in the room who objects to something that was said, you know, and so they think they're a minority. But there's actually great research showing a lot of men found that comment offensive, right? There are a lot of men who are put off by sexist, biased comments in the workplace, but they have this uh, erroneous notion that they're alone. So the result is that if one guy has the courage to call it out, to say, dude, stop, or ouch, something to to stop it, it unfreezes all those other good guys in the room, right? It it breaks a spell. And after that modeling, other men are willing to to join you in in objecting or, or calling stuff out. So it often takes out one guy who's willing to say something um, right up front. And this really does pull for bravery, right? I think we men are socialized to fear the wimp penalty. We're, we're socialized to fear losing our man card if we violate the bro code. Um, but got to have some courage to do this because you're going to be joined when you do that, usually by some other well-meaning men. And just to clarify your example, Brad, that one male who feels that he's observing something that uh, they've seen at a meeting, do they also think that they're the only one observing it so that they feel like, hey, I just saw something that makes me uncomfortable, but I'm the only one? Well, they could. They could because there's evidence also showing that we men often miss harassment. We miss bias, you know, especially if it's more subtle. Guys don't pick up on it as as uh, consistently as women do. And so this is also part of our situational awareness. We have to become more attuned to things that are sexist and biased that, that might easily slip by. The more egregious stuff, um, you know, I, I may think that other men saw it too, but I may falsely believe that they're accepting of that. And, and the, again, the research shows that no, most men are not. So Brad, for our listeners today, I'm curious if you could share, you know, two or three things that men could do a little bit differently than they're doing today in order to start practicing this behavior of being braver at work. And I'm a big fan also, in addition to the word curiosity and listen of the word practice, because a lot of people think just because you learn something, you're suddenly supposed to be fantastic at it. And in reality, it may take some time. How do I say it? When do I say it? I learn from those experiences. 
Could you share maybe two or three things that men could do to start being a little bit braver at work as it pertains to relationships for women in the workplace? Yep. I'll share two or three with you, Ed, and there's there's about a hundred that I, I think are important, <laughs> but, but you know, your listeners will have to read good guys to see them all. So we've already talked about listening, and I think, you know, if I was going to start somewhere, uh, that might be it. Here's another uh, interpersonal piece, and that is avoid the assumptions. Um, we men, you know, the research shows are too quick to make assumptions about women, and that really gets us off the rails when it comes to being an effective mentor and sponsor. So for example, you know, she's a woman, therefore she would or would not want this next job or promotion or stretch opportunity. Um, you know, too often I decide for her because she's a woman. Uh, and that gets us uh, into all kinds of trouble and it disadvantages our female colleagues. Back to the listening, I got to do my work and discern her career dream and discern what her ideal self looks like uh, in terms of a perfect future moving forward. And then once I get that, once I've done the work to listen and not make assumptions, now I can open the right doors and introduce her to the right people and be a better colleague that way. So that's one. Um, another one, um, you know, relates to the, the sponsoring piece. Men can be reluctant to loudly sponsor women. And this is, you know, shown in the research over and over again. Women are not getting the sponsoring. And so as a guy, I may be worried if I'm loudly promoting a woman when she's not even in the room, what are people going to think, right? Or will that sound creepy or, you know, will they wonder if something's going on? As a guy, I got to get over that. I have to deal with that myself. Again, exposure therapy. A, a litmus test for you if you're a male and you're sponsoring a woman you need to be talking about her when she's not in the room you need to be telling people how great she is and what she's achieving and giving her all kinds of shout outs recommending her for that next opportunity or promotion or stretch assignment if you're not doing that she's not getting the sponsorship and and we know from all the data women are not getting that um one more thing maybe, you know, related to um, the, the whole issue of systemic change. I, as a male, when I have the opportunity, I need to show up at gender events at work. I need to go to women's conferences. I need to join the women's ERG. I need to show up and be humble and listen and learn about the experiences of the women in my workplace. And then once I've learned, I'd like to ask, how can I contribute? What could I do? Not assume that I'm gonna take charge or tell women how to do gender equity. I wanna be a humble collaborator, but I've gotta show up and demonstrate my commitment to this with my presence. When you think about joining uh, women leadership groups, things of that nature, Brad, I'm curious, do women, do you believe, or does your research show that women expect men to be part of the equation for success? You know, this is a really important conversation, Ed, and it's not an easy one. I think that, you know, part of our counsel to men is you have to have some respect for the fact that women's gatherings, women's conferences, women's ERGs have been places for women to do all of this work for the last many decades. And it has been lonely work for them because men have not been involved. 
It has also been a safe space for women to share with each other and commiserate and have good social support. So don't assume that you're invited, but ask, you know, and very often uh, women's events will invite men. In fact, there'll be a, a shout out, hey guys, join us, you know, at blank. When that happens, make sure you're there. Take advantage of that. And then have the right attitude, right? This this mantra of listening and, and demonstrating a learning orientation. Message for women, you know, I get it that this has been a safe space and a, maybe a sacred space in many ways to talk about moving the needle on equity. But let's just remember, until we get the majority stakeholders, men, engaged meaningfully in these conversations, we have a long way to go to real equity. Well, I'd love to end our conversation, Brad, with a quote from your book which maybe you could reflect on just for a moment. So it's early on and it's from Brené Brown. And I think this just applies to bravery so beautifully. So this is another one of the reasons I loved your book, because I just thought by default, this is what happens often while you're writing about one type of topic, it applies so well to this concept of being braver at work, saying what needs to be said or doing what needs to be done. And the quote is, you can choose courage, or you can choose comfort, you cannot have both. I love that quote. And I love all things Brene Brown, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and this gets to maybe a, you know, a final message, especially for men who are listening to this today. Um, one of our mantras in Good Guys is you as a guy if you want to enter this space, if you want to do the real work of allyship with women in the workplace, one thing you have to get okay with is being uncomfortable. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and you know, we were just talking about showing up at a woman's event. You better be really comfortable being uncomfortable because this is going to be a first opportunity for you to be the minority, uh, to see what it's like for women, for people of color, to be an only. And, and this is going to be a wonderful opportunity to build your empathy. Wow. Well, fantastic. So, Brad, thank you so much today for all your thoughts and work. And again, I would encourage all of our listeners to take a look at Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. Brad, if people want to talk more with you or get in touch with you, you know, what are some ways that they might be able to do that? Yeah, probably the best way uh, would just to reach out to our book page. It's it's called workplaceallies.com. So go to workplaceallies.com and you'll be able to reach out to both Dave and I, my co-author. Fantastic. And in the meeting notes, we've got your LinkedIn profile. We've got a connection to your book on Amazon and we will add workplaceallies.com. So Brad, thanks again today for all of your thoughts and learnings and uh, research. It's been really, really great speaking with you. What a fun conversation, Ed. Thanks for inviting me. Terrific. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week. And we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on Apple, Google, CastBox, Overcast, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available everywhere online. 
Do you have something to say yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.